Hello and welcome to Still Buffering, a cross-generational guide to the culture that made us. I am Riley Smurl. I'm Sydney McElroy. And I'm Taylor Smurl. Hey, you all seen that uh, Jojo Siwa flick yet? No. I have not. You haven't? I have not. Why? Are we missing out? Um, I'm going to be completely honest with you. Yes. Really? It's, I mean, okay, it's obviously not aimed at adults. Because <laughs> I saw the preview for it, like uh-huh. a little teaser. And I was like, hmm, this seems like something Charlie would enjoy. So we've already watched it. Uh, Charlie and Cooper. I don't know which one enjoyed it more, frankly. Really? Cooper danced through the entire movie. Like stood there dancing and trying to do the moves. There's a move that JoJo invents in it called the JoJo Jam. Uh-huh. And Cooper was determined that by the end of the film, she would be doing the JoJo Jam. Can she do it? Sort of. No. <laughs> what is this? Is this like the origin story of JoJo Siwa? Is there? Is this a? Is this a based on a fact or what? What is the? What's the narrative? So, okay, so I don't know if it's based on any fact because I don't know. I did not watch Dance Moms enough to know the life story of JoJo Siwa. You don't know the JoJo Siwa lore. <laughs> I watched. I know when she's she was from on, Omaha. <laughs> when she was on Abby Lee's Ultimate Dance Competition to be on Dance Moms, you, and you, she lost, but then she was on Dance Moms anyways. You might know more than I do. I, the only thing I know, some Charlie and Cooper have watched this movie that's like autobiographical, I think, because they both always want to go to Omaha because they know she's from Omaha. So. I know. Um, they're constantly saying, like, can we either go to Disney World or Omaha? One of the two. Like, those are obviously, the same. if you go there, you'll just meet JoJo. That's what they think. Yeah. We can go to Omaha and meet JoJo. JoJo says it's great. Uh, but they, so I don't, I don't know what that whole, I know she was on Dance Moms. I know that the instructor was not Abby very Lee. nice. No. Was not, like, a great person, it sounds like. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know if part of Like, that's not explicit, but I wondered because I kind of vaguely knew that because the general idea is Jojo is, you know, Jojo, sparkly, bows, the whole thing, personality for days. And she is on a dance team and their instructor is all like, be yourself, love yourself. Everything's great. And it's wonderful. And then the instructor retires and a new instructor is brought in for the dance school. And she's like, everybody wear gray, no bows, no sparkles and like kind of a, a good creates like a good dance team but they're very homogenized right like everybody n- no standouts no which is, bows there's like a scene where she's like no like they slow it down in slow motion like and no bows <laughs> jojo's like no <laughs> so like they get it like it's self-aware yeah but so jojo tries to like you know hide her shine Mm -hmm. can't do it Mm -hmm. can't help it she's Mm -hmm. too sparkly um gets kicked off the team makes her own dance team right the j team the j team of course and they go to the big dance competition to see who's gonna win the j team or her old dance team does the j team win the p pack the p pack yes wait what hold that's what they're called that's the old dance team becomes a, because the new dance instructor, I forget what her name is. Polly, Pauline, pop something. It starts with P. P-Pack is such a bad name. Yes. Yeah. So the P-Pack and the J team f- face off and 
I mean, I don't want to spoil it. Who but wins? It, it is a kids movie, so you could probably piece together what happens. <laughs> the J team the, the, the loses, mm-hmm. and there's a nuanced lesson about how self expression is more important than winning or losing. <laughs> no? no, no, they win. No, okay. Uh, it is. I mean, like I will say that as much as they make it look like it's about sparkles and bows, there is a lot of like no matter what the world tells you be yourself don't don't be afraid if people don't like you for being different or looking different or acting so it's different it's a little you know yeah well <laughs> gay yeah <laughs> okay yes i i think i mean obviously none of that is like no one has any sorts of relationships yeah. in there yeah but um i mean jojo is wearing double denim quite a bit so i'm just going to say that and of course, Jojo Siwa is not the character, but like the human Jojo Siwa is not straight. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I don't know if we know more than that. She's not straight. I know she has a girlfriend. Yes. But I don't know her. I don't know. I don't know her actual. Now, I don't know if she defined her sexuality. I know she's not straight. Is this the movie that I read an article about how her character was supposed to kiss a boy and she said that would be untrue to who I am and to all my fans that have watched me like come out and grow and i'm not going to do that i so she didn't they took that out of the movie if that was part of it i cannot fathom who that boy okay. was supposed there to was be because there's another movie she's also in because mm. like sure. there are there are boys on the dance team that she creates like the original dance team is all girls mm-hmm. the dance team the j team has boys and girls because she actually recruits them from the park from people like there's like people playing soccer and she recruits some people. There's people playing baseball and she recruits some people. There's like basketball. There's some like a dance team there and she steals some of them. I don't know. <laughs> but she like goes to the park and recruits a bunch of people and then brings them back to her house. And it's like, you're a dance team now. <laughs> and they're like, OK, sure. I got nothing going on. And they're great. <laughs> and they're great. So there are boys on there, but none of them are like they're all kind of equally like they have names. They each have a few lines, but nobody is elevated yeah. to, you know there's what I mean? No love interest. No love interest, yeah. certainly, um, among any of them, any gender. And then the only other like prominent male character is somebody who we're, we're supposed to believe used to be in JoJo's dance studio and then moved. And so now he shows up at the competition and she gets to see him because like he's on one of these other dance teams. And he is very clearly supposed to be gay. Mm-hmm. Like everything about this character is queer coded. Mm-hmm. So I, I mean, they don't say that, but yeah that it you know it seems very much like again none of this is explicit but watching the movie you would assume this character is gay and jojo it is a question mark Hmm. she never expresses any sorts of interesting well it's all about the dance it's about the dance yeah well and it's about herself it's it's really about being herself and self-expression and being true to who you are and not having to hide who you are and which is very cool because like i said jojo is i don't know if she is has she said she's a lesbian or is she? She know. wore that shirt in that picture that her family got her that said best gay cousin ever. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the only time I think I've ever seen her use any sort of. I always hate to assume label. because yeah. being being bi, I always hate to assume that because someone is, you know, she's dating a woman, assume that she is a lesbian, although mm-hmm. she may be. And that's fine. You know, I don't know. Yeah. I just always hate to make assumptions about people. Mm-hmm. You shouldn't. Um, not straight. but either way that works <laughs> not straight <laughs> not straight yeah. that's what I she's not straight but like she does this there's this moment where she is very clearly like channeling Elton John mm-hmm. like full like 
like sequins all over the face, like glued to the face and big giant costume playing the piano before she dances. And it is, it's pretty fantastic. Like, especially as a parent to see this in a kid's movie now, thinking about what we got and what my kids get. It's pretty fantastic. Yeah. Well, that sounds cool. I, I I would probably watch that. That feels like a, a movie that could take me away from the world for a little while. <laughs> it does. I mean, and I'm, some of JoJo's songs are pretty good. Are they bops? Some of them are bops. I, are they, wait, are they in the movie, like her songs? Uh, the, There's only one that okay. I recognize from like what the girls listen to. The rest felt like new. Okay. T- sp- specific to the plot mm-hmm. kind of songs, like moving the plot along yeah. musical type numbers um the dancing is great of course all these people are super talented and uh um that she does one like slow sort of lyrical piece that she does like sl- like lyrical dancing to and sings and i mean it's really pretty it's a it is enjoyable i enjoyed watching it it's fluffy it's fun it's got a positive message i love that d-r-e-a-m yeah d-r-e-a-m that gets stuck in my head a lot the girls um, sing that a lot. I'll have to check that out. Um, so I did check. Apparently, JoJo has come out and said that she likes the term queer, but okay. that she supposes she's technically pansexual. So there you go. Okay. Well, there you go. Well, there you go. I, I like that I feel the same about my identity as JoJo Siwa. I like that yeah. <laughs> I, too, just go, eh, queer, queer. <laughs> I just think, I think it's very cool. Like, that it, it, it is obviously, it is not about that, but that is easily part of the message you could get which is if you are watching and you're a young person and you're also not straight and you're not sure how to talk about that or if that's okay or whatever you could easily see the messages from this being that's totally fine Mm -hmm. you are fine the way you are so that's good there is a lot of hating on the color gray i will say and as a big fan of the color gray (laughs) how (laughs) i I've never understood Personally. how someone can be a big fan of the color gray. That's like saying like your favorite drink is water. <laughs> like it's just meh. Like I just and like not even like any kind of fancy water. Yeah. Just my, like room favorite, temperature tap water. My favorite color is purple, but my second favorite color is gray because it's the most comforting of colors. It's warm and soft. Elephants are gray and they're great. I love gray. So weird. That's that's a weird little add-on reason there. Also elephants, you know. Also elephants. I love elephants. Yeah, but hip- the- hippos are gray too, and they're terrifying. So I don't know. I they cancel each other out. Dolphins are gray, and a dolphin traumatized your child. <laughs> a child did get bitten by a dolphin once. I mean, gorillas are the best animal, but elephants are close. Anyway, well, we're not anyway. here. To, we're not here to rank animals. Are, well, okay, that's, can we? You know, that's not fair that you end the conversation after declaring gorillas the king of the animals, and you're like, and we're done. But all right, <laughs> I don't think I knew this about you, Cindy. That you were like gorillas. Yes, the either. best animal. I love gorillas. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Since when? Well, yeah. I, just, I don't. I've I, never heard I'm you say this about gorillas before. Midlife gorilla like fascination. I, this is not I, part of knowing you. <laughs> okay, I I want to talk about Shel Silverstein, yeah. but really fast, I will just say one time I was at a faculty retreat. This is for adults, like a faculty retreat as a doctor and teacher. 
and uh, we were at the zoo. <laughs> it was a faculty retreat at the Cincinnati Zoo. And I we were all assigned the task of wandering about the zoo and finding the animal with which you most identify. And then they put each animal up on the screen and we all had to guess who said they most identify with that animal. That seems like a good icebreaker activity. Mm-hmm. And you went with gorilla? Well, it was in that moment as I was looking at the animals that I felt... Like, you always see, like, the mommy gorillas with their babies, and, like, they're always, it, it just, I, I felt this, I mean, and obviously, like, we, we share a great amount of DNA, so this is obvious, but, like, I was watching this mommy hold her baby, and she looked both, like, adoring and then just so exhausted and over it, <laughs> which is, like, a feeling I feel a lot, where I'm like, I love you so much, but also I'm so tired. <laughs> And it just, I I looked in this gorilla's eyes and I felt like, I know, I get to, I get it. I get it. We're the same, you and me. Hmm. Well. (laughs) Anyway. I love gorillas. I didn't, I I just, I feel that. This obviously is an important part of your personality that I knew nothing about. I I don't know how important it is. I just love gorillas. Um, So, uh... (laughs) I also love Shel Silverstein. Are there any Shel Silverstein poems about gorillas? I can't think of any. Not that I can so. think of. Um, I so Shel Silverstein. In case you're not, I don't. I feel like if you are of, I mean, even any gener. Riley, even do you me, feel like I grew up reading Shel Silverstein? Which okay, I have to say there are lots of things I assume everyone of my generation has also been exposed to. But I've realized over time, this is not because it was popular when I was growing up. It's because it was something that you all enjoyed that I just inherited. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So this may not have been a universal experience for all of like the older levels of Gen Z. This may just be because I had your all's old books and stuff. I don't know. I mean, Justin was certainly familiar uh, with Shel Silverstein, not to the extent that we were, but like... I, okay, so Shel Silverstein was a, 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 a poet, a writer wrote songs, poems, stories, um, born in 1930. And a lot of us, I think, who were children a long time ago, <laughs> um, became familiar because of his poetry. Uh, there was, I'm trying to think of when all these books were published, because they just seem like eternal to me. Uh, but From what I can tell, mostly the 60s. So he did, uh, the two that I remembered the best were Where the Sidewalk Ends, and a light on in the attic. Um, or sorry, eighties and nineties. Or a light in the attic, and then uh, I also, of course, he did the ones like the missing piece, and all those. He did the Giving Tree, the Giving which Tree, which was one of those books that was like I feel like eternal in every elementary school yes. classroom. Um, and then there were uh, lots of other ones. Um, Uncle Shelby's ABC book was the other one that I. <laughs> That I was a big fan of. (laughs) Um, And there were a lot of others. He recorded songs. Um, He was really famous. Like, this was not how I knew of him, certainly. Um, But he did uh, A Boy Named Sue. Yeah. Which won a Grammy in 1970. So, like, really famous for that. He was nominated for an Academy Award and a Golden Globe. So, very famous and well-known in a lot of circles for some of the stuff he did. For me, the poetry is where he came into my life and mm-hmm. not only reading the poems but uh we had the cassette tapes of him 
reading his poems aloud, which I listened to. Oh, I couldn't tell you how many times. Um, and luckily, you can find all those on YouTube still. The recordings of him reading them aloud. And they're just, I mean, they add this whole other level to the poems. And now uh, the ones that he does perform on the tape, I can't, when I read them from the book, I can't not hear him. Like, mm-hmm. the way he read them, mm-hmm. his his rhythm to them, and sometimes singing parts of them and adding a, l- a couple words in here and there. Some of them I completely misremember because of I remember the recording better than the poem itself. But, um... Anyway, so hugely important to me as a kid. Part of the reason I started to love reading were Mama and Papa showing us these books at their house, mm-hmm. um, introducing us to these poems, and me becoming obsessed with learning to read every single one in the book, and um, really got me into poetry for a long time. Like, I read a ton of poetry because I thought, poems are cool. <laughs> poems are funny. And you started writing under the name Lenore. Yes, I did do that for a while. <laughs> yes. All because of Shel Silverstein. Um, also, some uh, wild illustrations in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely, like, like I was when I was looking back through. Uh, those are probably the same books, like Where the Sidewalk Ends and Light in the Attic, are the ones that I remember the most. But also, also mm. the ABC book. Like, some of those illustrations are stuck in my head the same way that like the uh, the scary stories. Those those creepy yes. illustrations are just stuck mm-hmm. in my head. Not in quite a as terrifying way although his some of his drawings were kind of disturbing they Mm -hmm. were uh, that was definitely i love the poetry but the illustrations really made an impact on me as a kid like just some of the weird like like the the one poem about the people from mars who have like they're Uh just like us but their heads are in different places and it's the headless body with its head on its butt (laughs) like i always disturbed the crap out of me as a kid but i liked it (laughs) Some of them I just thought were so cool in their intricacy. Um, The the homework machine always sticks out to me because the joke of the homework machine, if you look at the artwork, is that it is a kid stuck inside this big giant machine who's just doing your homework Mm -hmm. for you. Um, But that but the illustration of that really always stuck with me. I remember very specifically reading. I want to say where the sidewalk ends was the one that I read the most um reading it so many times i knew what like in what order all the poems were and there being pages that i would just kind of like turn my head away and close my eyes because the illustrations freaked me out so much i would just skip by them so i didn't have to look at them again (laughs) and um i don't know if that one with the people from mars was in that book or if it was in the other one but i remembered that one like to this day i can picture that in my head and seeing it as a kid and freaking out like no i don't want it i don't want to read that one i like the one with the kids in the tub i want to see let me see all the kids in the tub again <laughs> that was funny that was lighthearted. that was wholesome uh, i did a um when i was in elementary school one time we had to make dioramas and i made a diorama of that poem too many kids in this tub really that. um yeah because uh you remember those little toys quince yeah that, that predates you, Riley. Yeah, there were these. It was just for a while that, like, of the little doll Barbie esque like things you could buy, were this collection of little babies, mm. and they were quintuplets. Mm-hmm. They were quints, and you could, and they had like their numbers on their butts. Mm-hmm. I don't know why, but they were very popular for like uh. five minutes <laughs> in the grand scheme. But anyway, we had them. And so I, I like got a Barbie bathtub and put all the quince in it and then filled it with like foam so it would look like bubbles and made a bathroom scene 
put it in there and it was to <laughs> Shel Silverstein's too many kids in this tub. <laughs> Is that still part of, of like education where occasionally you just have to make a diorama? Like, I don't know what that was teaching us exactly, but uh, I always enjoyed that. <laughs> I don't know, but I hope so. We- so you can make one again? Yeah. Yeah, I really enjoyed. I made one of the old man in the sea once in high school, and I had to make like a big giant fish, like partial <laughs> skeleton for the side of the. Anyway, I yeah. <laughs> I really enjoyed that. I remember doing uh, 1984 and making like a <laughs> diorama of like what the like the the main character Win- Winston is that right? Uh, what his room looked like, and then also making like the the pyramids, like you know the big like the bureau of all of that, like making the kind of. I remember design. this. I got. Yeah. I think I made like I was. I think the assignment was one diorama, and I made like three visual props. I was like, I don't know if I if I make enough visuals, I don't have to talk about it, right? <laughs> <laughs> that was a really great one. I still remember that yeah, one. Really, into you, that one beat the the thing I was most proud of is one time in school I had to build a pueblo, <laughs> and it was this. I made this huge <laughs> thing with like shoe boxes all wrapped in in brown paper and i was so proud at the end of it of all my little buildings and like my doors and windows and all this but you that beat my pueblo (laughs) a lot lot of good a lot of good good dioramas back in the day i hope kids are still still making dioramas (laughs) if uh if my kids do i'm gonna really push this too many kids in this in this tub idea because it was a very easy one to make Mm. and uh the kids in class which in retrospect i have to think the teacher didn't love that choice um because the last line is i just washed a behind that i'm sure wasn't mine there's too many many kids in this tub tub. um and i had to read that aloud to the class (laughs) this is a catholic school this was our brief stint in catholic school too i'm talking about behinds there was no way they loved that have have we reached the point in the the general psyche that if charlie were to bring that poem into class kids would be like huh what who? Maybe. I, I feel like that, I, I feel like that at least that one and several other Shel Silverstein poems, even for me, it was like, oh, I know what you're talking about. We're on the same page. That's five year olds. There were I mean, there were definitely ones like that because there was like the one that one had stuck out to me when I was young. Mrs. McTwitter, the babysitter. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people connected to. So like the ones that I feel like when I talk to somebody who wasn't <laughs> a super fan, <laughs> uh the Sarah Cynthia Sylvia Stout will not take the garbage out. That one um, stuck with a lot of people yeah. and sick. I cannot go to school today. So the yes. little Peggy and McKay, that one, um, those a lot of people remember as like prominent poems. So I think they like made a bigger impression in the cultural zeitgeist. But I think for the most part, this like intricate love of all the Shel Silverstein poems. I don't know that everybody had that. And certainly yeah. I am now raising my children with it. They have yeah. both. Charlie reads the poems on her own now, and I still continue to read them to Cooper. Mm-hmm. And they'll recite them too sometimes, which is fun. That's good. Uh, have Have you? I, I you used to taught me with Sister for Sale. Um, that was that was your <laughs> fit. What a, which is now in retrospect, what a specifically like Sydney thing to do. I am going to recite a poem at you when I'm upset at you. <laughs> <laughs> That is exactly the form of torment that I would I, I would be drawn to. I like I'm going to recite Sister for Sale. That's a threat. 
It's so good because that's what Charlie would do too. Oh, Charlie is just so much like you. She, she would never that. be outwardly mean to anyone, but she would do that. She she does do sister for sale now. <laughs> um, and it's what's great is that I read it to them in the intonation of Shel Silverstein on the tape, uh, and then now Charlie recites it in that way. That's great. Because he adds lines on the tape, and the first time she read it herself, she looked at me and said, "It's not the way you say it." And I was like, oh, no, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> the last thing he says on the tape isn't isn't in the poem itself as written. So, oh, yeah, I know that really threw me, too, because it it, it was really like, I don't know. I, I remember different versions of it anyway. Yeah. Um, I, I want to talk more about what what this all what these mean to me and what they continue to mean, I think, to people who love them. But first, let's check the group message. So I am getting hungry. Me too. Uh, I haven't had. Um, it's not lunchtime. I haven't had. I was about to say I haven't had lunch yet. It's not actually lunchtime. Not lunchtime yet. No, but I'm just hungry. Yeah, me too. And I'm not gonna want to cook anything. No way. But how can I get delicious food from some of my favorite local restaurants delivered straight to my door um, without too much hassle? How? DoorDash. So all you got to do, it's super easy. We use DoorDash constantly when we just can't be bothered to cook. And right now we, we're not going out uh, to our restaurants nearly as much as we used to, but we still have a lot of local places that we love and we want to continue to support and eat their great food. Um, and DoorDash has you covered because all you got to do is get the app, you open it up, you choose where you want to eat from, you put in your order, and the food is delivered safely to your door. Uh, it's contact-free delivery. They leave it right outside. They let you know. You get updates while they're coming, and they give you a nice little message when they show up to say, here's your food, and don't worry. It's all safe and sound right there, and you can come get it. And uh, any any local place you like, any, any restaurant in your area, you can just check out the DoorDash app and order what you need. If you need something from like a convenience store or something, something that isn't necessarily like a restaurant meal, but you need snacks or toiletries, sundries, whatever, they can bring those to you too. Um, and it's super easy, and I'd highly recommend it. So, Taylor, if our listeners want to use DoorDash, what should they do? Well, right now, our listeners can get $5 off their first order of $15 or more and zero delivery fees for their first month when you download the DoorDash app and enter code BUFFERING. That's $5 off your first order and zero delivery fees for a month when you download the DoorDash app in the App Store and enter code BUFFERING. So... When I am in ordering from DoorDash, um, you know, maybe I, I don't have time. It's usually because I have too much going on to cook myself food. And also sometimes just because I want some yummy food out, usually it's because I have too much going on. Um, whether it's stuff I'm really excited about, maybe a night in, maybe hanging out with my friends, or stuff I'd rather not think about, like all of my school projects now I have to do. Maybe my capstone project to get a degree. I can't always control the vibes going on, but I can control the vibes in my ears. How? With Raycon. I'm so glad you asked. Um, whether I'm studying and I need some, some lo-fi study beats going on in the background while I'm trying to get some homework done, or I'm working out and I need something upbeat, maybe I'm, um, I don't know, walking between classes, I need something to chill me out, uh, Raycon is there for me whenever I need something in my ears to help me control the vibes going on for, for even a brief moment. 
And the new everyday earbuds look, feel, and sound better than ever. They have an improved look and feel and optimized gel tips for the perfect in-ear fit. They're impressive before you even start listening. You don't have to worry about them falling out. I know when I'm like running on the treadmill, sometimes I don't want to have to worry about them falling out and having to stop, bend down, pick them up. It's also just like an embarrassing vibe. Like, oh man, now I got to bend down off the treadmill. What if I fall? There's a lot to think about there. You don't have to worry about that with Raycon. And you get three new sound profiles to make sure everything you're listening to sounds its best. There's pure mode, maybe best for some podcast listening, blues, instrumental, balanced mode, which may be if you listen to some rock music, heavy metal, also some podcasts, and bass mode for hip-hop, EDM, reggae, all those kinds of musics. So they really got you covered for whatever you're into. So, Tay, if our listeners want to check out Raycon, what should they do? Well, right now, Still Buffering listeners can get 15% off their Raycon order at buyraycon.com slash buffering. That's buyraycon.com slash buffering to save 15% on Raycons. Buyraycon.com slash buffering. So, you know, uh, things that can be stressful have been lately, as you mentioned, Riley. Um you know, we're having to stay in more again and, and things can be really tense and all of that can stink. Yep. But even if uh, the world is stinky, you don't have to be. <laughs> don't be stinky. Especially you're, it, you know, maybe you're hanging out at home with like your family and your uh, pod and you don't want to be stinky because like, don't inflict that on other people. Are you trying to say something about me sitting here right now, hanging out with my family and my pod? <laughs> I'm saying, why don't you try my native deodorant? Okay. <laughs> I am just subtly suggesting that you try my native deodorant. Um, and you may have, too, already tried out native deodorant and love it uh, for how um, wonderful it smells and how much less stinky you have become. Uh, but you can al- you should also try out their other products. They've got body wash. They've got toothpaste. They've got sunscreen. Broad Spectrum SPF 30 sunscreen. It's lightweight. It absorbs quickly. They've got coconut and pineapple scent and unscented if you prefer unscented. And I do many times prefer unscented products these Mm -hmm. days. A lot of scented products uh, make me sneeze and unscented products don't like native. And so you have that option if you are like me. If you'd like to smell like a tropical vacation. I would love to. Then there you go. You got that too. You can get deodorant, body wash, and amazing scents like coconut and vanilla, citrus and herbal musk, lavender and rose. There are more than that. Um, And you can smell good and and feel good uh, about what you're putting on your body. So, Taylor, if our listeners want to check out Native and get less stinky, what should they do? Well, stay fresh, stay clean with Native by going to nativedeo.com slash buffering or use promo code buffering at checkout and get 20% off your first order. That's nativedeo.com slash buffering or use promo code buffering at checkout for 20% off your first order. So uh, as I was preparing for this episode, I was reading about like, I, I realized, and this is something that makes it really clear where this fits into my life. I knew very little about Shel Shel Silverstein, the person, Mm -hmm. um, because when you are, you know, 10 and reading poems, you're not really thinking, I wonder what this author is all about. (laughs) Where was he born? What's his story? Uh, But I did learn as I was reading that he used to hang out at the Playboy mansion because he used to do like cartoons for Playboy magazine a lot. I I had no idea. I know. It was, a, I know, it's very different when you consider I thought of him as the author of children's poetry, which uh-huh. he was way more than that. Right. That was just who he was to me as a child. But like, he did way more than that. Um, I know. Interesting. And I will say that, like, 
one of the things I, I really appreciate in um, this kind of, uh, like he, he did the poetry that was clearly fun and light and lighthearted and easily accessible for children. But then there were some more subversive things like Uncle Shelby's ABZ book. <laughs> that, <laughs> Which... Oh, I, we had that as young kids. And I don't... I mean, I we're fine, but like that there was some some wild stuff in there. There was uh, so Uncle Shelby's ABZ book was supposed to be like a send up if you've never read it, because I would say it was not it did not rise to the level of fame that these poetry books did or like certainly The Giving Tree or anything like that. Um, But it was supposed to be like based on a kid's ABC book, except every letter is sort of like suggesting something not so great. It's kind of like <laughs> uh, funny and sarcastic. And uh, like, for instance, some of them are kind of just um, ways to mess with the parents. Uh, I remember E is for Ernie. Mm-hmm. Ernie is the genie that lives in your ceiling. E is also for egg and Ernie loves eggs. So the next time you're in your living room, you should throw an egg at the ceiling and yell, hey, Ernie, catch. And Ernie will reach down from the ceiling and catch the egg. Oh. <laughs> I don't remember this one. The one that always stuck with me was was the uh, the S S is also for Stanley, the the crazy yes. murderer who likes to murder little boys and girls early Sunday morning. <laughs> yep. What? Yeah. Yeah, and it's this this picture of this this guy holding a bloody knife, which the knife is labeled like blood. Uh, it's it's great, but I just used to stare at that page and like as a child, as a small child, like well, it's not Sunday, so I'm good. I'm I'm good tonight. There's also one that's like, uh, is that S is for scissors or is it H is for haircut? Oh, well, there's the one that the, the daddy one. Is that the one you're thinking of? Like, yeah. Dad needs a haircut. I forget which letter it's like. I think look it's at D daddy is for needs daddy. A haircut. Yeah. Is it D, daddy? Look at daddy. Daddy needs a haircut. Daddy can't afford a haircut because he remember that, <laughs> 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 toys and oatmeal. I remember that toys and oatmeal. And they're like, poor daddy. See daddy sleeping on the couch? Poor, poor daddy. See the scissors? Poor, 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 poor daddy. Great. <laughs> for that one. Well, and the one that everybody was, I guess, most upset about is the L. L is for lie. And it's or it's also L is for lollipops, but also L is for lie. And it's like, if you want a nice lollipop, just pour the lie out and tell your mommy and daddy that you've eaten the lie. And then you'll get taken to the doctor and your stomach will be pumped. And then you'll get a nice red lollipop. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Like this, it was, we read this, I mean, we, we, like what, like seven, eight, young. So it's hard because it was clearly not for kids, no. right? Like it's but aimed also at adults. But Shel Silverstein, so. And, and you, if you looked at it, you wouldn't know immediately that it yeah. wasn't for kids. Um, it, now, when you read it, you do. But I think like nowadays it would be more commonplace because you have books like that. You know that Go the F to Sleep? Uh-huh. Have you seen that series? So like there are those books which look like kids books. But then as soon as you, you're like, oh, no, OK, obviously, this is more of a joke for grownups, yeah. not for kids. And that is where Uncle Shelby's ABC book lives in that space. It just I, it was kind of I don't think there was a lot out there like that yet. And so our parents just bought it for. <laughs> I'm just trying to figure out what took place between you all reading it and me, where mom and dad at some point, I guess, realized like, oh, no, he shouldn't. This isn't this isn't for kids. It is not. I'd, I did not read that. I don't remember any of that. I remember where the sidewalk ends. I remember a light in the attic, um, the giving tree, all the other stuff. I do not remember that at all. Oh, 
He did the he does the classic like M is for money. Money is the root of all evil. Money is, <laughs> money is what makes mommy and daddy fight. So you should take all the money in your house and mail it to. And then he puts an address that's you know supposed to be his. Isn't yeah. Um, or or there's R is for red, but it's like the, the the fire engine is red and the fireman's hat, and it ends with like oh, but the fireman only goes to places where there is a fire. <laughs> like do you want to <laughs> see the fire. <laughs> I know. (laughs) They're all like that. It's so good, though. I love it. Like, it's hilarious. Cooper would love it. Yes. And for I think I think as long as you know what it is, it's funny for adults. Obviously, for kids, it's not. It's it's well. I mean, you just (laughs) you know the weird thing is I I remember reading it definitely as a young child and thinking it was funny. Like like I I got the jokes as a very small person. I mean, I'm not saying this is kids should read this but i also don't think it was damaging the fact that we did no i don't i don't think i mean there was no chance that i was gonna go like try to feed the pony in daddy's gas tank as they suggest p is for pony (laughs) to pour sugar in daddy's gas tank to feed the pony like i feel like Um, a lot of this is just our our family's sense of humor in a lot of ways well it's like childish kind of dark like (laughs) yeah yeah, no, I, I, and it, and it did, and it, but I really think it was because, like, I'd, I'd read all those Shel Silverstein books, and I loved those poetry books, so of course I was going to read this too, um, and I mean the ones that like resonate with me and stick with me to today are definitely more the poems, mm-hmm. and those are the I have not shared Uncle Shelby's ABZ book with my children. I do have it yet. I, I will eventually. <laughs> um, but I have, I have read many of the poems to them. They are easily impressed because they're kids and so they they are very impressed that i have memorized any of them so i can show off that i know a poem and then they both look at me like wow my god my mom is just the best (laughs) it's like that's right i know all of the crocodile went to the dentist (laughs) every single word um they are disappointed though that i don't i had not memorized the king and the peanut butter sandwich That one, I don't, that one, just like the way that Shel Silverstein reads that one, and the the way that he uses his voice to sound like he's got a mouthful of peanut butter, <laughs> like mm-hmm. it's so good. It's. Have you listened to these? I don't think I have. Oh. I'm gonna have to play these for you. They're well, they're all on YouTube. Yeah. There's compilations yeah. of them on YouTube. Say, yeah. I don't think I ever actually had the. I mean, if they were tapes. Right. They were, I mean, I had the cassette tapes. I played on my little cassette player in my room by myself, like sit there or Tay was probably hanging out with me listening to Shel Silverstein. I was right at a point where I still watched VHS tapes, but did not, I had no tapes. So I, maybe they were gone. Maybe they're yours. I don't know. I think this was also a common thing on road trips for us too. Like Mm -hmm. back in the day that you put in the whole Shel Silverstein tape on a road trip. (laughs) Mom and dad would just listen to it with us. That was true. We would. We would in the car all be listening to Shel Silverstein. So funny. sister for sale. <laughs> it's, it was, it, he really is, I mean, obviously he was also a performer and so it makes sense, but like it, he's so vocally talented mm-hmm. with the way that he interprets mm-hmm. the poems to bring them to life. It's, it's a whole other level. It's a different experience listening to him than reading it. Yeah. Um, and it was also it was a great way to memorize them because like the the reason that I I knew the crocodile went to the dentist and to this day can still recite it is because he does it in like a sing songy way mm. and and it became musical yeah and, um 
And then some of them are more serious. The there's the uh, little boy and the old man. Do you remember that one? Vaguely. The the little boy and the old man are commiserating about like sometimes I drop my spoon, oh, sometimes yeah. I wet my pants. Yes. Yes. And oh, sometimes do people don't pay attention to me. I'm gonna, I'm gonna cry if yeah. I finish it, so I, I can't. But <laughs> yeah, there, there were a lot of them that I think were, you know, that they weren't inappropriate for kids to read, but I feel like they were reaching at something that maybe was a little outside of what I don't know. I don't want to sell kids short. I think kids can get it, but adults I think are more affected by it. Yeah. Um, I, I wonder. I was looking at when all these books came out, so curious how long they were around before I was around. Um, the Giving Tree was one of the first. That was in like the 60s, like 64, I think, was when that was published. But all the most popular poetry books weren't until like the late 80s mm. to early 90s even. Mm-hmm. Um, and it makes me wonder if that kind of poetry is something he just always did and didn't really compile and put together until like way later in his life because he was born in 1930. Mm-hmm. Um, or if like he did all that more adult stuff and then, like, writing for, you know, Playboy or whatever. Um, and then was like, yeah, you know what? Actually, that one kid's book I did, that, would, like, went pretty well. Let's, let's do that again. That was fun. Well, I think I think that's how his career kind of went, right? Like, because he worked at, he did all the Playboy mm-hmm. stuff first. And then he had people in his life that urged him to get into children's books. Because, I mean, maybe yeah. he had a lot of this stuff already. But, like, that was sort of a... Because I guess there were some people that were like, oh, this... This man that illustrated for Playboy is writing books for children. That's bad, right? It's like, oh, well, you know. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I think I think you're very much right, and it, it it is funny that I mean, there are a lot of people, especially who kind of are in the comedy world, who ended mm-hmm. up. I always think of like Bob Saget going from yeah. telling the dirtiest of dirty jokes and stand up acts to being America's dad, yeah, <laughs> on Full House. But uh, yeah, and I. The there really is this in a, the poems are a lot less cynical most of the time, you know, a lot less with that sort of edge to mm-hmm. them. Some of them do, but for the most part, they're kind of full of wonder and um, like like the puzzle piece one where they just talk about I see a puzzle piece on mm-hmm. the sidewalk, all the things that one puzzle yeah. piece could be. Mm-hmm. Um, I, the the poem where the sidewalk ends is like that. Mm-hmm. The idea of the place where the sidewalk ends. And what's there? Um, I don't know. I think I think a lot of those poems are really nice for kids because they are more sort of these like metaphorical representations of creativity and imagination and and like the wonder that you have as a kid, um, yeah. personified in different ways. Mm-hmm. There, there was one. I don't think I, I, maybe this is one because I know there were more recent poetry books, but uh, maybe maybe I just missed this one. Do you remember Masks, Sid? Yeah, so that's what I don't. I didn't remember that from childhood, and I when I was just you know rereading everything, like I came across that one on the internet, and it like caught me so like like that she had blue skin, and so did he. He kept it hid, and so did she. They searched for blue their whole life through, then passed right by and never knew. Like that that broke my heart. <laughs> there was some really, I mean, yeah, there there's some really intense, beautiful things that are that are hidden in there among some of the s- sillier ones, yeah. you know. Um, and then they like later on they did things like um, Runny Babbitt Returns and well Runny Babbitt and Runny Babbitt Returns which were like they were published after he had died based on 
things. I don't, I don't know. Like uh-huh. they were based on things he had written or like completely things he had written. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know. So that some stuff was published um, because he passed away in 1999. Right. So some stuff was published later. Um, but yeah, the, and I, I mean, I think a lot of people just remember um, the giving tree as the, which, you know, is a, a lovely story, but well, I was I was surprised to see how much thought has gone into whether or not the Giving Tree is a good lesson or not. Like there are people that have written yeah. very big think pieces about how it's 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 teaches toxic relationships or it's misogynist somehow because it's a a a, a, a supposed woman tree giving everything to a, a a boy. I don't remember it that way. Like I remember it just being a good sort of parable on like you know. I don't. I I felt like it was like about appreciating the people that take care of you. That sometimes we just don't really do that until it's you know where we're older. Mm-hmm. But I'm curious how y'all feel about that. <laughs> I just I remember that book. There, I, my elementary school there was like along the top of the walls there were books painted like little like vignettes from them and their titles that were like all the most popular kids books, um, like the the rainbow fish and um, all those like other Mm -hmm. kids books that were super popular like the hungry hungry caterpillar and that one was the very first one as soon as you walked in and it had like this whole big painting of like the whole big tree going up one wall and the kids standing at the top i just remember thinking that book was like the best book i was like that's like the book it's i'm gonna read it like every i did i read it at school probably on a weekly basis I haven't read it in a very long time, I will say. I mean, I, I can understand. I have read that sort of critique of it, too. That, like, the idea, especially if you look at it as a mother and son, which is, I'm not saying that's exactly what it mm-hmm. is, but it, it feels that way. Mm-hmm. Um, it You could definitely interpret, like, well, why does she have to sacrifice her entire self to take care of her son? And I think that that is sort of the, like, reading that people are saying well, this is an outdated way of looking at raising a child. And then because it is a mom and a son, like it does have that, that sort of sexist vibe. Mm. I, I don't know as a, as a parent, I, I think for me, it's like, it's not quite that. I, it doesn't bother me in that way. Yeah. Um, You do, you do change yourself. You do make changes to yourself and alterations and sacrifices when you decide to care for another human. Mm-hmm whatever that relationship is um you have to that that's part of and especially if like it's a relationship where you're a caregiver there are things you do to take care of that person and i think the only thing i don't know that it's well reflected because it's a tree (laughs) is the the joy and happiness that it can bring Mm -hmm. to you know sort of rearrange your life to care for another person and then have a whole new life that is born of the two of your relationship. Um, that can be a really beautiful thing. It doesn't have to be a damaging thing, but I think because at the end the tree is like literally cut down. Yeah. It's not as well. I don't know. I, it, it, it never occurred to me that it was that bad until I read those sorts of th- recent think pieces about it. Um, it's a, it's interesting because it seems to imply that, Every if a book is written for kids, it has to have some sort of moral lesson at its core. But it's mm-hmm. like if you just look at it like, well, as adults, we read stories that sometimes are complex and are just stories about life, and they're not trying to teach you anything; they're just trying to tell a story. It's like I don't know. I mean, does there have to? I think there's a takeaway if you if you if you see one there, but also can like can there just be a story without some sort of 
heavy-handed moral lesson. It's just, it's a beautiful story about the relationship between this tree and this boy. And it's a little sad mm-hmm. and it's a little sweet. And, you know, you maybe it's okay that it doesn't have a bow on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And and I mean, and you can talk about that. I think if, if that concerns you, I think it's a good thing to discuss, like, that should the boy have appreciated the tree more all along? Could mm-hmm. the boy have given back to the tree more? I mean, I think you can have that conversation from the book. Um, it doesn't have to be perfect. But the fact that it, it, it elicits all that conversation, I think, is kind of important all of it all on its own. Yeah. <laughs> But I mean, I understand that. I'm not. I'm not like. I it, I can understand where if you just read it and thought, so you're telling me, <laughs> this guy gets to like literally destroy this tree and the tree should be happy about it because her job was to take care of this guy. That could be a very negative reading of it. Sure. I just I I don't I don't know that there's. It's like a lot of art, right? There yeah. are lots of ways you could look at it. Yeah, I should note I have not read this book since I was a child, and I also have not read any of these commentary analysis pieces so i mean i've seen people rewrite it Mm. yeah which i think is a little disrespectful like you can have however you feel about it but like you know i don't Mm -hmm. i don't think Mm -hmm. it's harmful that's that's a that's a bit of a stretch yeah and i I mean i I don't know like it seems like the tree is happy to to have this relationship but this is you know the tree seems to get just as much joy out of giving as as you know the boy is receiving which i don't know like i don't know if there's a big lesson but i think that there's it's not it's not bad (laughs) well yeah and to be to be frank like i would say that there is more joy in giving than receiving personally that's my personal opinion that i put just on myself out there into the world but i do think if everybody had a little bit better understanding that you can also get joy from giving (laughs) You can receive, please do. No one should not receive. But also giving is important. Mm-hmm. Maybe things wouldn't be so screwed up. <laughs> maybe, maybe if we all valued giving just a little bit more and mm-hmm. sacrificing and making decisions while thinking about everyone else. Well, just mm-hmm. saying. I think that that was a consistent theme in, in his work, though, right? I always like that little one, the how many, how much, you know? The yeah. how much good inside a day depends how good you live them. How much love inside a friend depends how much you give them. Like mm-hmm. something like, you know, something he was concerned with that giving begets getting. Yes, I, I, I think I think that those are important lessons and it's nuanced. But again, I think what you said, Tay, is true. Ki- kids can handle complexity and nuance, not maybe at every age and not alone like they need help with that but if you expose them to complexity and nuance and then help guide them through that and let them think through it and figure things out they're going to be better their whole lives at figuring out complexity and nuance it doesn't have to just be and the moral of the story is always be kind good job everybody (laughs) well because like when i read the giving tree it makes me think of everyone in my life that has supported me and, and given to me perhaps that I haven't appreciated enough, you know? I think we spend so much of our life trying to get the approval and love from people that don't give it so easily that the people that give it easily, we take for granted. And it makes Mm -hmm. me think about that. And if a kid thinks about that and goes, oh, who don't I appreciate? I'm sad for the tree at the end of this book. Who who have been the trees in my life? I think that's, you know, yeah, like you said, like it's, there's, 
it's, there's more thinking. It's better if you think about it than if you're just like taught a lesson and like, okay, I've learned it. I'm good. <laughs> mm-hmm. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Which is why next up we're going to, I'm going to have my kids read Uncle Shelby's ABC book. Well, I don't think you should arm <laughs> Cooper with that. <laughs> yeah. No. You're going to end up with eggs on the ceiling and daddy's going to get a haircut. <laughs> She'd give Charlie nightmares, taunting her with the idea of Stanley. Yeah. No doubt. No, well, I don't want to give her any ideas that she could be Stanley. Oh, no. <laughs> I don't that. I, I don't think we're completely out of the woods with that yet. Well. <laughs> um, well, thank you both. I the, Shel Silverstein's work means a lot to me personally, and sharing it with my children has been really important to me, and being able to talk about it with both of you and with all our listeners is really special. So thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Tay, what's next? Uh, not, not, not quite as, as sentimental, uh, but, but very, very visually impactful on me. Uh, I want to talk about one of my favorite uh, short anime series, uh, Furikuri or FLCL. Uh, it came out, I believe, in two thousand, but uh, it's a, it's a six episode series. There's a, there are newer iterations of it, but I really just want to talk to the about the one that made a big impact on me. So. All right. All right. It's a fun little yeah, story. Uh, uh, and it's on. Uh, I believe Hulu? it is. It is on Hulu. Um, it's pro- it's it's definitely on Hulu, but it's I'm sure it's available also on other streaming sites. I think Amazon has it. I think probably Crunchyroll has it, but definitely Hulu. Is it subbed? Uh, there is a dub. Um, okay. It has been dubbed, so I'm gonna guess there's sub and dub options. Justin cool. will want to watch the sub with me and then pause it every 30 seconds to see if he can figure out what they just said mm-hmm. <laughs> without looking at the without looking at the subtitles. Oh, I, I was going to say that the sub, I mean, I the voice acting is good both uh, however you watch it, but the, the the voice acting in the in the original is really really good. Cool. Awesome. All right. Well, that's next week. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. And um listeners, thank you. Thank you for joining us. You should uh if you have not read Shel Silverstein's books, A Light in the Attic and Where the Sidewalk Ends are great places to start. And all those, um, him reading them, it's all on YouTube. If you just look up those titles, you can find the like compilations of what was on the cassette back in the day. Um, <laughs> I'd highly recommend them. And uh, thank you to Maximum Fun. You should go to MaximumFun.org and listen to all the great podcasts there. You can email us at stillbuffering at MaximumFun.org. And you can tweet at us at stillbuff. And thank you to the novellas for our theme song, Baby, Change Your Mind. This has been your cross-generational guide to the culture that made us. I am Riley Smurl. I'm Sydney McElroy. And I'm Taylor Smurl. I am still buffering. And I am too. Mrs. McTwitter, the babysitter. She's a little bit crazy. She thinks the babysitter is supposed to sit upon the baby. <laughs> Cooper loves that one and it freaks I'm Charlie sure out. She does. It of freaks course. Charlie out so much. We have wasted this world. Our magic put a storm in the sky that has rendered the surface of our planet uninhabitable. But beneath the surface, well, that's another story entirely. In a city built leagues below the apocalypse, survivors of the storm forge paths through a strange new world. Some seek salvation for their homeland above. Others seek to chart the vast undersea expanse outside the city's walls. And others still seek what else? 
fortune, and glory. Dive into the Ether Sea, the latest campaign from the Adventure Zone, every other Thursday on MaximumFun.org or wherever you listen to podcasts. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.